who is God to you? God for me is everything. It's my life because my life without God is nothing. God is my Lord and Savior, my Father. You add God to the equation, everything's better. I mean, to me, I, I don't think that there is necessarily a God. I think that having an invisible guy watch everything I do isn't uh, something I personally believe in. Para mí, Dios es la persona la cual tú no puedes ver, pero en la cual todos confiamos. Aclamamos a Dios cuando tenemos problemas. God to me is really no one, to be honest. So uh, distant, you know, not communicative, no empathy. <laughs> God is my father, somebody I pray to, talk to every day. God is a being greater than myself and greater than anybody else. God is people I meet and the experiences I have. I'm not really religious at all, so probably nothing. I don't believe in God. I don't believe it's intelligently possible that there was a God. He's there when I need help. He's there when I don't need help. He's just someone I want to talk to all the time. God is kind of like a mentor, and you should go to him for some faith. And, you know, I know when I was so anxious about a new job opportunity, I was like, God, please let me get it. And I did. So, you know, it's just, you know, it's nice to have that, I guess, overseeing power, we'll call it. Um, but I feel like it's just a nice way to put your faith somewhere. And mysterious. I will definitely say mysterious. Um, quiet, but he works good in that way. And honestly, I'd say good, because, you know, even... I, I completely believe that um, everything happens for a reason, every single thing, and God puts you through hell for reasons, and uh, I can't seem to learn this lesson that keeps coming back to me, and it's him yelling at me saying, learn your freaking lesson, so yeah, that's what I believe. Well, good morning, guys. It is good to be with you. If you don't know me, my name is Mark Nelson, and I'm the campus pastor uh, at our Greece campus here at Northridge. I see you, Greece. Um, but it is good to have all of you here with us, whatever campus here uh, at Rochester, our, one of our Rochester locations, or whether you're joining us online. It's really good to have all of you here. And I do want to take a moment uh, to say a special shout out to our Henrietta campus today because our Henrietta campus is launching a two-service format today for the very first time. So way to go, Henrietta, on that growth step. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I think we've all had um, a similar experience, haven't we, where we've all found ourselves at times sort of scratching our head and asking the question, like, why would that person do that? What was, what was that person thinking? Like you're driving maybe through a neighborhood and you, no, you notice that house off to the right. The, the owner of the house decided for no apparent reason to paint the exterior of their house neon orange. And you're like, why? Like how did this person ever think? Why did this person ever think that would be a good idea? I'm sure all the neighbors love it, right? Or maybe you're walking through the mall and you, <clears throat> you notice that person that you're left scratching your head like, why did they leave the house dressed that way? Like, isn't there anybody in their life that loves them enough to give them fashion advice? Like, don't they have a mother? Like, or at least a mirror? I mean, these are moments that leave us asking why. Maybe you're watching television and, and you, you see that car dealership commercial and you're thinking to yourself, really? Like, that's what they came up with? They thought that would be a good commercial idea? Are they trying to drive customers away? Seems like a huge mistake to me, you know what I mean? Like in moments like this, we're, we're asking the question, why would someone do something? But we're really kind of at the same time making a statement. 
were really kind of saying, if it were me, I would have never done it that way. If the paintbrush were in my hand, or if I was dishing out clothing advice, or, uh, or if I was in the script writing process, then things never would have turned out the way that they did. But what about when it's more than just a superficial issue? And what about when we're asking the question, why not about some person, but about, but about God? God, why would you do that? God, why would you allow me to go through that? Why would you let me be born the way I was born? Why couldn't I have been thinner, smarter, more athletic, more attractive, have a better voice, not have this physical limitation? God, why couldn't I get that job that I applied for, that scholarship? Why is money always such a challenge for our family? Why does life always seem to be so hard? Why do I have this habitual struggle that I deal with day after day all the time? God, why did you allow our dad to leave our family? Why was I allowed to be sexually abused? Why did that person die that I loved so much? Or why did they get so sick? Why do I always feel so unloved? And in moments like this, in these difficult life circumstances, it can be very easy, very, very easy, very tempting to also think that if we were in control, that if we were God, then we certainly would choose something far, far different. Well, today we're wrapping up a five-part series that we've simply named God Is. And a statement we've made all throughout this series is that, that whether or not you follow God depends on who you believe God is. And we've looked at three attributes of God to this point in the series. God is love, God is good, God is holy. And today we want to consider the truth that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And what does it mean to be sovereign? Well, this is not a word that we use a whole ton in contemporary culture, but we probably think of the, the idea of sovereignty most when we're thinking of sovereign nations or countries, that, that a particular country has you know, supreme power or authority over a given territory or land mass. And really that, I think, is a fair definition of sovereignty, that it's supreme power or authority. You could say that it means to be in full or complete control. And this is that attribute of God that might cause us to feel that if we were God, and if we were in control, we might choose to do things far differently. But it's important to note that of the four attributes that we've looked at in this series, this one is unique, because it's the only one of the four that we shouldn't try to copy. This one comes with a warning label, do not try this at home. Because you see, it's important, yes, to strive to love as God loves and to be good as God is good and to be holy as he is holy, but it is not a good idea to strive to have ultimate power or authority. It might sound like a cool superpower, but history has proven over and again that it never works out well when finite people strive for ultimate control. And though not good for us, it's actually vital that God possess this attribute of sovereignty because if God isn't in full control, then he wouldn't be able to bring about the promise of his love and of his goodness and of his holiness. Well, where do we get the idea that God is sovereign anyway? Did we just make it up? Do we just assume that it must be true of God? Well, no, that, that's not how it works. In fact, we've said all throughout this series that we want to allow God to speak for himself. And the way that God's voice is heard is by listening to or reading the message that he gave us that we refer to as the Bible. And so I want to 
take a few minutes to lay a biblical foundation for God's sovereignty this morning. And I don't know that I could think of a better verse, a better single verse than the words Paul gave us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, where we read, in him, and that's a direct reference to Jesus Christ from the previous verse, in Christ we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. So Paul describes God here as the one who works out everything in a way that lines up with the purpose of his will or lines up with what he intends to bring about, that which we might call his ultimate plan. And he says something similar in Colossians 1.17. He said, he, Christ, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament expresses God's sovereignty when he records God's own words. Listen to what God says in Isaiah 46. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Remember, this is one of those ways we shouldn't strive to be like God. Well, how are none like you, God? Well, he says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. So nothing will stop what God has planned. Similarly, we see these words in Psalm 115. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. One passage that I think is also significant comes at the very end of the book of Job. Job was a, a man in the Bible who was allowed to experience incredible loss at the hands of our spiritual enemy, Satan, and he lost his entire family, all his possessions, even his health. And God used those circumstances to teach Job a lot about himself, about God. And at the end of the book of Job, Job finally exclaims this in chapter 42. He says of God, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted or stopped. And that's just an incredible statement about God's nature. But it isn't only that God plans things that he will do. The Bible also makes it clear that God is in absolute control of even the activities of people and even of nations. We read in Proverbs 21 verse 1, the king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he pleases. Wow. Even the affections of a person guided here by God, that's incredible. That's intense. And in a passage that speaks of God using the world empire Assyria as a weapon of judgment against his own rebellious people Israel, Isaiah the prophet writes in chapter 10, but can the axe boast greater power than the person who uses it? Is the saw greater than the person who saws? Can a rod strike unless a hand moves it? Can a wooden cane walk by itself? In other words, Assyria, this world empire, thought it was just doing its thing. It thought it was just conquering one nation after another, eventually to conquer Israel. But God is saying here that it was truly him behind the scenes directing the entire thing. Even the most powerful regimes on planet Earth are but a tool in God's mighty hand. So if these things are true, and if our God has that degree of control, then some tough tough questions, I think, begin to form in our minds. And I want to handle two of them with the time that we have left this morning. A couple of tough questions. If God is in control, if he has a plan that he will bring to pass, then does what I do really matter in the end? 
I think that's a question that naturally begins to form in our minds. Does what I do really matter? Now, if you grew up in church, you've probably long believed that God is in control. Something that you've heard, it's something that you've probably embraced, and yet at the same time, even though we believe God is in control, we still all do things each and every day. We make choices. Just because we believe God is in control, I hope it hasn't kept us from doing our laundry, from going to work every day, from paying our bills, from going to the grocery store. Though we, knew, though we know that God is in control in an ultimate way, we still know, we recognize that there are things we have to accomplish, choices that matter. And I think when it comes to this apparent tension between God's control and the reality that we all make choices every day that matter, there are sort of two misconceptions that we can, I think, kind of vacillate between. And the first one says this, says, I make no difference. I make no difference. My choices don't really matter. After all, I'm essentially just kind of like a robot going through the motions, and in the end, it, it won't really matter what I do because God's got it covered anyway. I mean, why, why share my faith since God already knows those who will put their faith in him? Why pray since God is simply going to do what God is going to do? And I think this extreme, it underemphasizes human responsibility. It underemphasizes our responsibility. It breeds a fatalistic, even an apathetic attitude. Man, why, don't he, why do I even care anymore? Since it doesn't matter in the end, so forget it. I'm not even going to worry about it. And honestly, I kind of wish I leaned a little bit more toward that misconception, but I tend to lean more the other direction, toward the other misconception, which says that I make the difference. I make the difference. Practically speaking, it's really only my choices that matter. I mean, yes, I know God's in control, but really I live my day-to-day -day life as if I make the difference in any given situation. And I think this results both in and from pride and self-dependence because I can begin to think that if I'm just smart enough, if I'm just clever enough, if I'm just sophisticated enough to use words like sophisticated, you know, then I can pull it off, right? Then I might be able to just handle stuff and get through it. And yeah, I know God's in control, but I live my life every day like I am with both hands firmly on the steering wheel of my life. And this, of course, overemphasizes human responsibility because I can begin to think that God's plan is somehow dependent on me. And you know what I think can happen here? Fear can begin to creep in. Fear can creep in because what happens if I blow it? What happens if I make a choice that doesn't fit into God's plan? And so this might keep us stuck or paralyzed from moving forward in life, from using the gifts and abilities God's given to us, from showing up for that job interview, going out on that date, uh, you know, taking appropriate risks, attacking life in a way that truly entrusts God with the outcome. But instead of either of these misconceptions, I think we have to land in the place where we come to ultimately believe that there are two truths that the Bible teaches that seem to be in opposition. Two truths that the Bible clearly teaches. They're corresponding truths and they operate together. The first is this, that God is in control. He is, he is sovereign. We looked at the biblical foundation for that a moment ago. But the other side of it is that we also have responsibility. We make choices that matter. God is sovereign, he has a plan, and yet we make choices that really matter. And this is one of those things we could call a paradox. A paradox is when there's, Two truths that seem to be in conflict and yet they exist together. 
And here's where our limited minds can begin to freak out a little bit, right? Because we can begin to go like, which is it? It has to be one or the other. Like, is God in control? And does he have a plan that he will bring to pass? Or do I have the ability to make choices that really make a difference? And the answer to that question is yes. Both are actually biblically true. Let me show you a couple of examples from Scripture. In John chapter 6, Jesus actually taught that both of these are true. In chapter 6, verse 35, we read these words. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. In other words, people have the opportunity to make the choice to put their faith in Jesus. They have the opportunity to come to him, to believe in him. Whoever wants to do that, Jesus said, can do that. And yet look what we see in verse 44, just a few verses later. No one can come to me. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. And all throughout chapter 6 of the book of John, I'd encourage you to read it, uh, we see this ping pong game back and forth between God's sovereign choice and man's responsibility to believe as part of the process. Get this, with no suggestion by Jesus that there's any contradiction between the two. Here's an Old Testament example for us this morning. Through the prophet Isaiah, in fact, I mentioned this context just a, a bit ago, God's speaking how he's using, uh, how he will use the nation of Assyria to bring judgment on his own people, Israel. And in verse 5 of Isaiah 10, he says, Woe to, or trouble on, the Assyrian, the rod of my anger, in whose hand is the club of my wrath. So these are God's words. He's saying, I'm going to use the nation of Assyria like a weapon in my arsenal to bring about my higher purposes. And yet, look at what he says just a few verses later in verse 12. When the Lord has finished all his work against Mount Zion and Jerusalem, he will say, I will punish the king of Assyria for the willful pride of his heart and for the haughty look in his eye, as if to say that though it was my overarching plan to use Assyria as part of my greater purpose, yet they still had a responsibility for their own moral choices. That's fascinating, even confusing. And that these two work together is clear, but, but how do they work together? How do these two aspects of reality function together? And to that question, I would say, well, I don't know. In fact, I'd go so far as to say nobody knows how these two function together. But then I'd quickly correct that statement, and I'd say, truthfully, God only knows. The truth is, God only knows how these work together. And let me suggest that this is one of those spiritual mysteries that God reserves only for himself. One of those secret things that Moses said belong only to the Lord, that the human mind is incapable of fully knowing or grasping. I want to suggest to you this morning that this is an ongoing tension that we are meant to live inside between God's ultimate control on the one hand and yet our ability to make meaningful choices. And I'm not trying to discourage you from learning more and more about how God works in this area. In fact, I'd encourage you toward it. I'd encourage you to dive into our equipped resources and, and, and wrestle with this tension with other believers in your community group. Like those are all great things, but here's what I'm saying, that you don't need to solve this in order to continue to grow in your faith. And you don't need to solve this before you can have faith in God. I want to encourage you today to not think of this as much as a car collision, 
as you do maybe a railway. And what, I'm, what I mean by that is sometimes in, man, these theological issues that seem like a paradox to us and, and they seem to maybe be in opposition, we can feel frustrated and we can say, I just can't reconcile these two truths. They, they feel like two automobiles traveling you know, in opposite directions ultimately to collide in the middle with all the resulting devastation and chaos. But I don't think we need to think of them that way. Instead, I would encourage you to think of these as twin tracks, maybe railroad tracks that run together on into the future, always side by side, never converging, never colliding. They run together, these two rails. And on one rail, we have God's ultimate complete control that enables our trust. And on the other rail, we have man's responsibility to make wise choices that, in, that, that actually demands our action and our obedience. On the one rail, man, it's God's ultimate control, enabling us to trust him. And on the other rail, it's our responsibility demanding our action, trust and action, trust and obedience. The two rails that the Christian life was always meant to ride on. And you know, I think that the massive train of God's plan rolls along these two tracks to accomplish his great purpose. And somehow in his great plan, these two can work perfectly together. We must get to the place where we finally resign ourselves to say, I don't know how this necessarily works, but I trust that both are true. That God is in full control, but at the same time, he's entrusted me with the freedom to make choices and those choices have an impact. And somehow God is big enough to use all of this to bring about his grand purposes. So what should we do with this? I think three choices come to mind related to this tension. One, we could just choose to sit on the sideline, like I'm out, <laughs> I just give up, you know. Essentially do nothing to allow this paradox to paralyze us. And this doesn't accomplish anything good, so I don't recommend this choice. We could also choose number two, to, to work against God. And, and to say, you know what, I don't understand how God works. And I could never believe in a God who operates like that. And unless I can fully understand God, I won't believe in him. So thank you very much, but I'll just go my own way. And in fact, you live in a way that opposes God's plan. I don't encourage you to make that choice because I think you'll find it a very frustrating experience and a losing battle. But the third choice is the one we'd recommend, and that's to work with God, to work with God, to move forward toward all that God has planned for your life. Man, get on that train and ride those two tracks of God's complete control and yet at the same time your responsibility to make wise choices. I might summarize the picture this way if I were to put, in, put it into a sentence. God's sovereignty doesn't erase our responsibility but it guarantees our success. And man, that's so good to know this morning. We still have to own our part but we can be confident that God is going to win in the end, and to be on God's side is to be on the right side of history. And the question is this morning, do you want to be on board with all that God is doing? And can I just say to all of us this morning, all aboard, <laughs> right? Let's get on that train, and let's fully experience the journey that he has planned for our lives. But I mentioned that there'd be two questions, and the second one is this, that if God is really in control then how do we explain the mess that the world seems to be in? I mean, if God is all-powerful, then why doesn't he just stop all the pain and suffering? And it's one thing when the pain is theoretical, when it's about someone disconnected from me, maybe a half a world away. But it's a whole other thing when it gets personal. 
And countless people have walked away from faith in God because they just can't reconcile the idea of a God who is in full control, not keeping them from experiencing loss or devastation of some variety. And if this is a struggle for you, man, I want to encourage you to go back to week three of this series and check out Nate Miller's sermon on how God is good even in the midst of the pain that we experience. But in terms of God's sovereignty, I think we need to make two very important distinctions this morning. The first is we need to recognize the difference between what God wants and what God wills. There's a difference between those two. That God truly doesn't want the hard things in your life either. That while your heart is breaking, his is breaking too. I love what our lead pastor Drew said at his own father's memorial service just a couple weeks ago. When he said this, he said, God is sad by my father's death too. Man, that is so true. Because because God wills things to be included in his plan that he too grieves because they ultimately have the power to accomplish his greater purposes. And you know this morning that God is a master at bringing good from bad. He is a master at bringing life from death. We call that redemption. But not only is there an important distinction between what God wants and wills, but also between what God causes and what God allows. Because not everything that happens was caused by God, but everything that happened was allowed by him. And we're so prone to hold God responsible for that which he did not cause or that which he never promised. And the truth of the matter is that God did not promise us a pain-free life. He didn't. And pain and divorce and cancer and rape and poverty and the coronavirus and difficulties of all varieties, including the one you're dealing with right now, is the result of humanity's sinfulness. The, The real tough part of this is we have to own that we are part of the problem. And we often feel justified kind of picking and choosing which bad things we wish God would just eradicate from existence. And it's usually the hurt and pain that we didn't have a hand in creating. But the truth of the matter is that if God simply removed all evil, then that would mean removing me and removing you because we are also sinful. God is in control, but he's allowed man's freedom to take them to the end result of what they thought they wanted. Man chooses sin and ends up with the results of that choice. And your pain this morning, whatever it might be, is is directly or indirectly the result of one of three sources. It's either the result of the sin of Adam, the original sin that brought the curse into our world that helps explain so much of the pain that we can't make sense of, or it's the result of your own sin, of my own sin, the direct consequences of that, or of Someone else's sin that has also an effect on me in a negative way. And these sources of pain make life difficult. They do. But before you get mad at God for those difficult circumstances, let me remind you of something. That he came up with a plan to end the consequences of sin once and for all. And if the frustration that you can experience around this subject wells up inside you to the point where you express in frustration, God, if you're so powerful and if you're in control, then why don't you do something about all this mess? The answer to that question is, he did. He did just that. Not only did God give us his guidance in his message to us to help us avoid some of the pain of this life if we choose to live within the wise guardrails that he's provided us, but he did much more than that. 
God sent his own son to die in our place so that we could avoid the consequences of sin in eternity. And to remind us that he's created a world free of sin and pain and death called heaven and that that is our eternal home. And the the pain that we experience now in the present is a constant reminder that we are not home yet. And it's hard. It is. And in some ways, it's going to get harder. But the truth of the matter is we are not home yet. So what do we do in the meantime? Well, you can't avoid the pain in life. And you're not going to be able to completely figure how God operates out. But you can either allow those realities to make you bitter or to make you better. And so I want to recommend three responses to God's sovereignty that I think will have the power to help make us better. And the first one is to trust fully. I think God's sovereignty helps us trust fully. We can trust that what the Bible says about God's character is backed up by his ability to pull it off. Not only does God love us, but he has the ability to work all things out, even the bad things, for our ultimate good. He's got the big picture covered, and so that helps us to be able to trust him with all the small details. Second, I want to encourage us to choose wisely. We've been given the opportunity by God to make choices that are significant, choices that matter each and every day. And this means each one of us has a huge responsibility to make wise, God-honoring choices and to live with the outcome of those choices. And ultimately, somehow, God is able to marry our choices with his great plan as only he can do. And then third, I would suggest that we need to worship passionately. That would be an appropriate response to God's sovereignty, to worship passionately. This topic of God's sovereignty, it was never meant to be an endlessly debated subject, but an awe-inspiring, incomprehensible facet of God's amazing nature. God's complete power and authority should cause us to marvel at just how great a God we serve His sovereignty should move us to a place of worship like never before. And maybe this truth today of God's sovereignty has become a little bit too commonplace for you as I think at times it has for me. And I would push you, I would encourage you to commit to one of these three choices, maybe to commit to two or three of them. They're on your connection card today. I'd encourage you to indicate for you which one is so important that you begin to focus on to trust him more fully in the circumstances that he's put in your life, to begin to choose more wisely in a way that honors him and what he's asked of you, or to begin to worship him in a way that you never have before with arms wide open and with heart abandoned because of how great he really is. So on a February Friday morning, just over two years ago, I woke up feeling fine. Um, It was my day off. I didn't have a care in the world. I was the only one at home at the time. And um, I was watching a sports replay on the television, sitting on the couch, and I started feeling a strange sensation in my chest. And I thought, it's probably nothing. (laughs) And so I thought, you know, I just, I need to go up and take a shower. And so I headed up to the shower. And um, as the water was cascading around my body, I felt that sensation grow and it became more of a pressure. And I thought, that's not good. Like, I need to get out of the shower and I, need, I feel like I just need to lay down. And so I toweled off, wrapped a towel around me and I went into my bedroom and laid down on the bed and there, uh, man, the 
pain and the pressure in my chest just started to really intensify and spread all throughout my chest. And it felt like my chest was gonna like explode. But I didn't call for help. I didn't call 911. You know what I did? I thought, I can handle this. I'll get through this. It'll pass. I'll be fine. Wow. God was gracious to me. And after 25 or 30 minutes, the, the pressure and the pain finally did dissipate to the point I was actually able to get up. And as I, you know, kind of got going again, started feeling more normal, but I knew something significant had happened. And I knew, oh man, this time I can't just ignore it. I have to tell my wife. She's got to know. And so she came home for lunch and I told her what had happened. And she said, what? <laughs> we got to go to the hospital right now. Like we got to go. And I'm like, no, I'm feeling fine right now. You know what? Let me just get through the weekend. And I, Monday, I promise you, I will call my doctor on Monday. I'm just that stubborn, right? And she's like, well, I don't like it, you know, but, you know, be an idiot, you know? <laughs> like, I don't like it, but okay. Um, as long as you promise to call your doctor on, on Monday. So I, I said, I will. And I did. I, I followed through in that promise. Call my doctor on Monday. And my doctor said, what? <laughs> your wife was right. <laughs> she's always right. <laughs> like, you, you need to go to the ER right now. Okay, so fast forward the tape. I'm there. I'm actually lying now in the hospital bed. They've run a bunch of tests, and the doctor walks into the room, and he says, after these tests, uh, you know, it's become clear that you uh, have suffered a mild heart attack. A what now? What? No, 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 no. That door you walk through, walk back out the door, run the tests again, come back in with a different answer because that doesn't work for me. I'm 45 years old. I'm in reasonably good health. I mean, I'm no Scott Bixby, but like, <laughs> I feel pretty good, you know? Like this, this doesn't work for me. That wasn't the plan. But God had a different plan. And God allowed that in my life. And you know what that, that was truly? That was a gift in so many ways from God because first of all, he was super great, gracious to me and I feel pretty normal every day. But the other factor is that I do experience on a very continual basis um, limitations when I exert myself physically. And those limitations I think serve as a gift because they remind me every single day of three things that I need to trust God more fully because I don't know what's around the next corner, but he does. And I need to choose more wisely. I need to handle my stress levels differently. I need to eat better. I need to exercise. I need to obey him. I need to choose wisely. And then ultimately, I need to worship much more passionately than I ever did because my life is finite. But he is infinite, and he is worthy of all of my praise. I can hold nothing back. And could it be today that our God is so loving and so good and so holy and so, yes, sovereign, that he has the ability to orchestrate all of the issues and all of the difficulties and all of the circumstances in your life in such a way that no matter what you face, you might be able to get to a place where you say, it's okay. At the deepest part of who I am, it's okay. It is well with my soul. And even if I can't, completely figure out how God works. It is well with my soul. 
And even if he asked me to carry a, a heavy burden, it is well with my soul because I know the one who has it all under control. And so today at all of our campuses, we want to stand up. In fact, will you stand right now with me as we declare that truth that God, because we know you are sovereign, it is well with my soul.